I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. I'm very excited to introduce my guest to you this week. It is Dr. Tom Stubbs, who probably has the best CV of anybody I've ever had on the show. He is not only the CEO and founder of a company called Chronomics, a personalized epigenetics company, but he also has a first-class degree from Oxford in molecular and cellular biochemistry, a PhD from the University of Cambridge on the epigenetics of aging, and he is a previous podcast guest as well. Back in April of 2018, we recorded an episode with, with Tom and a couple of his other co-founders. So I'm going to link to that previous episode. If you want to hear more about the background of Chronomics and a bit more about Tom, listen to that episode and then come back to this one or listen to that after you've listened to this one. But all that being said, Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, Leanne. Pleasure to be on the show again. Yeah, great. Let's get stuck in because it's a really exciting topic, epigenetics. But what is it that we're talking about? What is or what are epigenetics? Yeah, sure. So epigenetics is really responsible for the controlling of your DNA. So inside all of our cells, we've got meters of DNA and that has to get wrapped up, packaged and controlled so that our genes can express and do the things that they need to do to keep us fit and healthy. And importantly, these control mechanisms, if you like, are very much influenced by environment and lifestyle. And so we can use epigenetic information to provide people with early warning signs for how different components of their environment and lifestyle are impacting their health today and their future likelihood for disease. Right. Okay, it's, it's incredible. I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk about later on is how it fits in with other types of DNA testing, gut testing, and so on. But is this something that people who are coming to you for who are concerned about well-being? What's kind of the driver for people getting interested in this stuff from a consumer level? Yeah, sure. So from a from a consumer level, there's we have people coming to us from a variety of of different perspectives. Some are looking to manage existing chronic conditions. Others are keen to optimize their health to the the best that they can. Others are interested in longevity and and staying, increasing their health span for as much as possible. And then others are simply curious and really keen to understand how how this science, and as you mentioned, other DNA tests are are evolving. So... If I wanted to know what the impact of living in in London, for example, in central London was having on my genes and therefore, you know, health potential health implications now or in the future, the chronomics test would be able to tell me that as one example. Yeah, absolutely. So we look at a whole host of different, what we term objective measures of health. And those measures of health are influenced by a whole host of different environment and lifestyle factors that we can measure and then provide people with with information that they can then take to improve their health moving forwards. Okay. I want to get get into that a lot more, but how did you get involved in this? At what point in your 
in your your academic life, did you hear upon this and think, you know, what this is this is going to be the future? Yeah, sure. So, yeah. So as as you mentioned at the start, I was working in the field of epigenetics, specifically the epigenetics of aging and developing lots of different tools for the study of epigenetics and really trying to get at what does it mean to age at a mechanistic level. And really out of that research, realized that whilst that's very much still a super interesting question from an academic perspective, there's a, there's a whole host of applications for the science of epigenetics to, and its ability to provide people with these objective long-term measures of risk today. And so wanted to, to found Chronomics to bring epigenetics out of the lab and to enable people to get the benefits of it today. Mm. And you just mentioned something that's just really interesting, which is longevity. And uh, I'll put another way, anti-aging, which is a term I'm not so keen on. Yeah. But yeah, kind of the same thing. Is, is that one of the key to drivers behind chronomics? Is it to try and help people to slow down that aging process? Or is that, is that, is that even possible? How, how much is that possible now? Yeah, so from a chronomics perspective, the key driver behind the company is to improve health by making what previously people were unable to, to see at an objective, at a molecular level, to make it visible and actionable. Mm. And what we see today around the world with the rise of aging populations is this massive ballooning of chronic conditions such as type 2 diabetes and, and heart disease. And a huge proportion of the, the risk for those conditions is driven by environment and lifestyle. And so with epigenetics, what you can do is provide people with access to objective measures of health even before the first symptoms and signs of the diseases emerge to enable people to take action to avoid ill health. Mm. So that's what we're focused on rather than lifespan extension per se. Okay. So you can see what the effects of your lifestyle are on your DNA in almost real time or how, how would you describe the kind of the time lag? Yeah, so I think one of the, the really exciting things about epigenetics and epigenetic data is that, yes, it's capturing a snapshot in time, but it's capturing the impact that your life choices and your environment has had over a prolonged window in your life. So whereas, I know we're getting into to other types of testing, but whereas with a, a blood test, for instance, different metabolite levels, for instance, in your blood can be quite spiky and fluctuating, epigenetics is really capturing longer term measures of health. So for instance, if we're looking at your metabolic status, one of the epigenetic health measures that we look at, that's combining the impact that diet, exercise and genetic predispositions are, are having on your, your overall metabolic health. What we see there is that you can, you can provide people with access to information about their metabolic linked risk in a way that captures that longer term risk. So to put it into perspective, into slightly more layman's terms, is you can have people that engage in yo-yo dieting or things like that, where they're fluctuating in weight quite rapidly. But from an epigenetics perspective, that's not going to be reflected in their metabolic state until the health benefits are also reflected. So if you choose to go on a diet and you're choosing to make changes for the long term to reduce your health risk, the epigenetic changes will align to that much more than they will with the fluctuations in yo-yo dieting, for instance. 
Okay. That's really interesting because one of the things I hear a lot now is people are concerned about how they're living their life today and what the future effect is going to be. In other words, I'm, let's say I'm, if I'm sick, it's me, I'm 44 now. I'm getting away with it. You know, I can cope on six hours sleep. I'm living in one of the biggest cities in the world. I may be, be living in quite an unhealthy way in terms of diet and exercise, but I'm concerned that when I'm 60, 70, 80, things might come home to roost, so to speak. And I suppose epigenetic testing can really help me to track that. And if I make positive changes to see what the effect on my DNA is of those as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. So this is this is really one of the, the key exciting things about having health measures, not disease measures, is that for the first time with epigenetics, you can shine a light on things that are happening today that are going to impact people well into the future, as you mentioned, mm. that previously would have been completely invisible. And so people would have been kind of going about living their lives without these things at the center of their of their mind. Whereas now with the science being able to shine a light on how different environment and lifestyle factors are affecting your health, people can make change, as you say, to take control of their health in the long yeah. term. Yeah. And I think preventative health is, is a big topic. People are really interested in, you know, in some cases described as the worried well, but I think that's a slightly unfair term. They're people who are well, but want to continue to be well with a view to extending their health span. What are some of the categories in the environmental and lifestyle factors that you've just mentioned? We touched on one, which is pollution, but what are some of the others? So we mentioned, I guess, from a longevity perspective, we mentioned biological age. Mm-hmm. So biological age is a measure of not how old you are, but how healthy you are on the inside. And epigenetics is really the gold standard in, in biological age measurement and essentially provides you with an overall understanding of your age-related disease risk and what you can do globally to improve your your health. Other areas that we look at, I mentioned briefly about metabolic states, we look at components of metabolism to understand how different components of, again, environment and lifestyle can be impacting directly on somebody's metabolic health. We also, I mean, we mentioned earlier about different environmental measures. So we have things looking at, for instance, smoke exposure, cumulative alcohol consumption. So again, not measuring how many units you're drinking, but actually the impact of that exposure to alcohol on your health at the level of your DNA. Yeah. And we're now bringing out in the next couple of weeks, two new epigenetic indicators that unfortunately I can't give too much, too much away about. How but tantalizing. <laughs> because they're, they're opening up a whole new different area of health that has been previously invisible, even with any of the other types of measures, so blood measures or gut measures, things that we were going to mention later. Mm -hmm. I think some of the really interesting ones there would be alcohol and stress, two things that we know are not great for us in in a prolonged or heavy sense. But we don't really know. You could have a liver test, for example, and maybe a bit of blood testing to determine whether or not your liver's standing up to the amount of alcohol you're consuming. But there's never before been a way to, to find out exactly what impact that's having on your DNA and then, then the long-term implications of that. Similarly for stress. So I think they're two particularly interesting areas. The one I'm, I'm always curious about is pollution, whether it's household products, cleaning products, for example, which are very chemical, or whether it's environmental pollution such as living close to a factory or living close to a main road. 
I suppose but all of this just enables you to see what long-term damage has been done to your genetics via your exposure to these things. And then you can positively measure the impact when you start to reverse some of that. How does it fit in with other genetic tests? Let's start with those. For example, 23andMe or Circle DNA, which used to be DNA Fit. Yeah, sure. So if we're if we're looking at genetic testing, so genetic testing is looking at that information that you're born with. So looking at kind of things like eye color, your risks for certain genetic diseases, and also kind of within a, a wellness setting, people are now using it for looking at kind of components of your ability to metabolize certain things or handle certain environmental or dietary exposures that you might get. But I think importantly, the thing to say about genetics is that genetics is really capturing you from birth. So it's taking you from birth and then extrapolating to where you're at now. And when it comes to lots of age-related conditions, the sorts of things that will affect throughout our lifetime, our lifetime, most of us. So things like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, etc. Yes, there is a genetic component of that, but the large majority of your risk for succumbing to those conditions is derived from environment and lifestyle. And the example that we often give is, if you look at heart disease, genetically, somebody can be four times more likely than somebody else to develop heart disease, which sounds pretty, pretty scary until you consider that if you look at environment and lifestyle risk, it's 5,000 fold. So there's a whole bunch of risk that you can do something about that's far greater than that underlying genetic risk. And that's the bit that epigenetics allows you to get at. And so epigenetics, as we discussed, is, is dynamic, it changes. And it's the reason you can have people that have the exact same genetic material, so identical twins, and yet they can have different health outcomes. And importantly, it's actionable. And that's what's really exciting from our perspective is that unlike those other DNA tests, you can make changes and see the benefit mm. in the actual measures itself as well as in your health. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's an important distinction. But you can use, I suppose, all the different tools together, you know, gut testing, blood testing, which gives you some real-time data on what's going on in the microbiome or going on in your bloods a genetic test and then an epigenetic test to get a really good picture of what's going on, but more importantly, how you can positively change that. Absolutely. Okay. Specifically about you know, what's, the, what's the future for chronomics? You know, where do you see this stuff evolving? Yeah, so I think the future of this, this whole space is super exciting. We're seeing more and more in a whole host of different uh, avenues, people are wanting to get much more engaged in their health. There's a big shift that I guess we were talking about on the previous podcast as well, but from reactive and, and generalist health to personalized and preventive approaches. And from, from a chronomics perspective, what we're really excited about is that we are deriving objective measures of health that can enable doctors, individuals, health coaches, etc., to support people in engaging in prevention using objective molecular measures. So one thing that we, we often mention and talk about is the fact that health is not just the absence of disease. Mm. So the World Health Organization for over 70 years now has redefined health not just as the absence of disease, but the complete physical, mental, and social well-being of a person. Yeah. 
And still, to this day, we have very few, if any, measures that objectively capture that broader definition of health. And with this transition towards prevention, there's a growing need for us to have objective measures of health that can enable us to, to shift our focus from disease to where we are today to avoid disease in the future. How widespread do you think this will become? I mean, to, to what degree do you think, for example, the NHS may adopt some sort of epigenetic or genetic testing? Yeah, I think it's pretty, pretty guaranteed <laughs> from what, we, what we're starting to see already. So we're already seeing, probably seen it in the news with the government now getting involved in the 5 Million Genomes Project together with Genomics England and the NHS. And we're seeing more and more interest from general practitioners as well. So people involved in primary care, really keen to to engage people with preventive solutions and the ability to engage them on a personalized level. And these are things that genetics, epigenetics, really allow those doctors to do to enable them to support people with objective measures of where they're at today at a truly personalized level at the level of their DNA. And you're now capturing the whole genome, aren't you? Yeah, so with so one test that we haven't spoken about, so we do uh, whole genome sequencing as well as doing epigenetic testing. So that's something that customers can request of us. And we, we Sorry, Tom, can you just explain the difference between the two? Sure. So there's now, I'd say, predominantly three types of genetic tests that are out there, and they're not all created equal. So you have genotyping or array-based testing, which is what companies like 23andMe, Ancestry, these sorts of people do, where they're using what's array technology, technology that's been around since since the 70s, to, to capture a subset of positions in your DNA. So typically with an array, you're looking at a million genetic positions or SNPs at single nucleotide polymorphisms. And this is a a very small proportion of your whole genome. So works out at roughly 0.02% of your genome. So a million may sound like a lot, but actually you've got 3 billion letters in your DNA. Hmm. And so 1 million is, is a very small portion of that. The other sort of test that people do is what's known as exome sequencing. And exome sequencing is essentially using a different type of technology. So a sequencing technology, which is using next generation sequencing, which is the gold standard for looking at DNA. And it's what we use for whole genome sequencing as well, and also for the epigenetic work that we do. But in the case of exome sequencing, you're essentially looking at the protein coding regions of the DNA. So within your genome, you've got 20% of your whole genome encodes your genes, and the rest, previously thought to be junk DNA, does a whole host of other things. But the protein coding genes account for about 20%. And out of that 20%, about 5% of it actually truly encodes what will become the proteins that perform all the functions in your body. And with exome sequencing, you're essentially looking at the exons, which are the protein, the bits that will go on to make the protein in your cells. And this is about as I said, 5% of your genome. So it's more than you'd look at with a genotyping array, but it's still missing 95% of the information. And one of the important things is that whilst exome sequencing allows you to look at variants in proteins, which means that they're 
relatively easy to annotate and to kind of understand how different variants could affect function. They're also really well conserved between people. And actually, lots of the variation between individuals is found outside of protein coding regions of the genome, and they would all be missed with exome sequencing. Right. And then you have whole genome sequencing that's looking at all 3 billion letters in duplicate, because you have one copy from your mum and one from your dad, and it's the, the complete picture of your genetics, that information from birth. And what can people do with that? Yep. Yeah, so what's exciting about whole genome sequencing is that it allows you to, to get access to regions of the genome that you wouldn't get from exome sequencing or from genotyping. It also means that because your, your genetics is something that doesn't change, if you're going to do a genetic test, you, you might as well do it properly and, and do it well. And by getting whole genome sequencing, you're essentially future-proofing yourself for new insights that will come out from the exciting ongoing research happening across the globe in a whole host of different fields, looking at the impact of genetics on a whole host of things, from looking at how different drugs are metabolized in different people, which is known as pharmacogenomics, all the way through to understanding how mental health and, and different components of disease risk play out at the level of your genetics. So all of that information you have now and, and looking to the future from whole genome sequencing. So it's almost like you've got that blueprint, genetic blueprint of yourself. And as and when things are discovered, you can just, well, using the technology, of course, from economics, you can access that genome and understand about your own epigenetics. Yeah, absolutely. So we can, with economics, we provide people the ability to search all three billion letters. Right understand what's happening across those letters today and as new stuff comes out then it will be populated within the product and importantly from the epigenetic side we're constantly bringing out new biomarkers to enable people to better understand how the largest risk factors for chronic conditions are affecting their health over time as well. Cool. That in particular, I think sounds really exciting, but just talk me through in the, the last few minutes the journey. If somebody wants to to purchase the test, what is the process they would follow? What would they get? And what kind of timeframes could they expect? Yeah, sure. So today, if somebody wants to purchase the test, so we predominantly sell through partners and, and channel distributors today, such as BodyShot. If somebody wanted to purchase a test, they would get sent a saliva test. They would register that test and send it back to us in a prepaid envelope that was provided with the testing. And then in six to eight weeks, they can expect their results back with their epigenetic, epigenetic health measures. Okay. And that would be a portal where they could see the effect of sleep, the effect of pollution, the effect of all the different environmental and lifestyle factors that we talked about. And presumably if they've done the whole genome test and they'll see all the 3 billion letters there in a searchable database. Yeah, absolutely. So all of this stuff is provided within an online dashboard. So people can access it on their phone, on their laptops, anywhere in the world. And we've made all of the reports easily accessible. So anyone can, can get access to their results and, and be empowered with their, their personal health insights. Okay, cool. Well, we'll put links to the website along with the code that we've got, which I think gets people a bit of a discount. So 
I'll also put a link through to the previous podcast, but I just want to talk specifically about you for the last few minutes, Tom. I mean, what, how do you use this stuff and what do you do to, to kind of personalize your health, fitness and well-being? What else do you use? What kind of things do you do? Yeah, sure. So do you mean from the, the product or more generally? like how From the product, but just you personally. I mean, um, to what degree do you use your epigenetic data and, and how has it informed some of the decisions and lifestyle changes that you may have made? Yeah, sure. So from my perspective, when I first took the test, there have been quite a few changes that have happened to my to my health and, and to my well-being. Stress probably gone up, right? <laughs> That's definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, from from my perspective, what epigenetics has allowed me to do is just constantly have kind of front of mind the impact that subtle things that I'm doing in my everyday life are, are having on my health. And they've re- it's really put me in a better frame of mind to, to engage more actively in exercise, to also really massively reduce my alcohol consumption and, and things of this nature. And actually, I guess the most drastic thing that it's done is <laughs> turned me from a commuter to a, to a non-commuter just because of the... Explain, the- what, what do you mean? Yeah, so with chronomics, I work relatively long hours. Mm. But with, with the added commuter time, it was really impacting my biological age and different, different components of my health. And I found that by now not commuting, it's actually really taken a whole load of burden off of me that's been reflected in changes at the epigenetic level as well. Well, that's fascinating because I think at a time when a lot of people are thinking about the impact of work on their well-being, commuting is definitely something I think a lot of people find stressful. It's a big waste of time. So have you seen changes then in your epigenetic markers from cutting that commute out of your workday? Yeah. So, I mean, I made this change now almost over a year ago. And if I look at my biological age across the two tests that I've had, it's made a, a marked difference. I mean, massive reduction on the biological age side and that was predominant change that I'd made in my life but it's yeah it's exciting to see it reflected at an epigenetic level but it's also it's just had a profound impact on my overall well-being as well yeah that I've been able to notice massively as well and I know this this wasn't a sort of formal study that you did so there are a number of variables at play, but what do you put it yeah. down to? Would you say it's not being subjected to the pollution perhaps of the tube or the reduction in stress, or is it very hard to put your finger on it? Yeah, it's hard to hard to put my finger on it. I mean, it definitely, I mean, I was commuting kind of four or five hours a day <laughs> mm. there and back. So it definitely had kind of, there's a sort of mental toll of that. Yeah. You know, and then trains get delayed or things happen. And I think, yeah, it was just putting a strain on a whole host of different factors within my my health and well-being. So I don't think it was one single factor that can be singled out. It was just the cumulative impact that it was having on a whole host of different things, including diet, mental health, sleep, uh, a whole host of things, really, and exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I was limited with what I could do. Yeah. What you've just said there in the last few minutes really brings it to life. You know, that is the effect that making a change like cutting out a commute or even reducing a commute, if cutting it out completely is not feasible, can have on your epigenetics and therefore 
long-term health indicators and current health as well. So that, that really brings it to life. Tom, thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm going to link to the previous podcast we did with you guys, also to the Chronomics website, which is chronomics, C-H-R-O-N-O-M-I-C-S.com. On Facebook, you're facebook.com forward slash chronomics. Your Twitter is at Tom Stubbs T, but the O is a zero, I believe, not an O. So at Tom Stubbs T, but the O is a a zero. We'll put links to all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you very much for coming on. All the best with with Chronomics for 2020. As you know, we'll be following closely and alongside you. And uh, yeah, it'd be good to have you on again in, in 12 months time and see how things have changed. Perfect. Thanks, Leah. Thank you. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotperformance.com and click on take the test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.